Welcome to Palliative Perspectives, a podcast produced by the Hospice and Palliative Nurses Association. Each episode will explore important topics from the field of hospice and palliative care to preserve our history, explore current challenges, find inspiration from our patients, create connections within our field, and peek into the research that shapes our future. Whether you're a seasoned nurse, a nursing student, or simply interested in the field of hospice and palliative care, we're glad you're here. Let's get started. Hi folks, welcome to Palliative Perspective. I'm your host, Erin Holder. Today we have Dr. Amisha Campos on the show. Welcome to the show, Amisha. Thank you. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I've worked in palliative care for over a decade, and right now I have a joint appointment uh, with the University of Connecticut, and also I work on the leadership team of a hospice uh, program in um, a home care for a community health system in Connecticut. So I have the ability to work both in the clinical and academic setting. Um, and my goal is with that is to really bridge the gap that happens between education and practice when it comes to nursing. I love that. I'm aware that you won the HPCCCHBN of the year award in 2021. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, Yeah, to my surprise, a colleague of mine nominated me, who's also a good friend of mine. And it was a very tumultuous time of year when I found out. It was, you know, right when the pandemic started um, and it was kind of out of the blue and I was very grateful for it. Um, At that time, I finished my PhD, completed a primary data study. I defended everything shut down in March ish so I descended in May so it really was the beginnings of everything and initially everyone you know was saying oh it's two weeks of this and then we'll all get back to normal and of course you know that didn't happen Um, and then I ended up working um, with my agency to take care of COVID positive patients um, at a facility where there was a an outbreak and it was one of those things that you know with all of the the different issues going around and the uncertainty about what was going on. It was really, really uh, nice to be nominated for this award, um, let alone win it. And I really am grateful to HPNA and HPCC and HPNF who have all contributed to my studies and my academic work and my clinical work and um, their support was critical. So having that CHPN certification and knowledge base really sets an individual apart. I advocate, you know, for all of the nurses that I work with to get this certification because there are a lot of avenues that open up when um, you become involved with the organization. I'm so glad that you're able to get that recognition, especially in such a difficult time. Uh, I'm sure that that was a little bit of a light when everything else seemed like it was pretty dark, truthfully. Uh, I understand that you are doing some research right now. What is your research pertaining to? Right now, my research is focused on communication and planning for serious illness. Uh, I'm lucky enough to receive funding from UConn for a pilot study that is going on currently in an urban setting um, where my health system is based out of. So again, it is that bridge between the clinical setting and also the academic setting and trying to incorporate the two. Um, 
And right now I'm looking at the facilitators and barriers to end of life care among blacks in this urban setting. That is definitely some really important research to be doing. Uh, what makes you passionate about it? Through my years um, as a hospice and palliative care nurse, it's been about 14 years that I've been in this field. There has been a huge discrepancy in the number of patients who we care for that are people of color. Um, a rough analysis of the data from our health system shows that only 4% of our patients in the urban area are Black or African American, but the city's population is 16%, and there's you know, a, a disconnect when it comes to that. Um, as a person of color with a deep-rooted culture and religious background, I've noticed that even family members going through the process of having a serious illness or going through end of life, they've encountered a lot of difficulties too. And at times they've had to conform to the practices and structures of the health system, um, which at times does suppress their cultural beliefs. There are you know, some very distinct times I can remember when my uncle and, and my grandmother were sick and how our family had to change the way that we would process it just because of where they were. Um, so that's really impacted me. And then seeing this discrepancy and working in this health setting for so long and really not seeing the population being representative is really why um, I decided to go into this type of research. I think that one of the biggest injustices of the healthcare system in this country is that there is not equality when it comes to how we treat people and how we incorporate their religious and cultural beliefs into their care. So this is definitely something that I'm so glad that you're delving deeper into. How, as healthcare professionals, can we be better advocates can we be better advocates for our patients of color? I think we really need to ask questions about patients' cultural and beliefs. Uh, we often, you know, might check that box on an admission uh, checklist or, you know, ask about it as a routine question. But I think we really want to um, really explore individually what their beliefs are and incorporate it into their care and also our practice. We tend to treat all of our patients the same, so it's understandable to have pathways and algorithms for care, but the interventions and goals should be tailored to everyone's needs uh, based on the resources that they have, the setting that they live in, the support system that they have. This also means assessing the patient's perspective of how they would like to approach interventions. Um, often we tell the patients what to do without explaining how and why, or considering how it integrates into their lifestyles and practices. Uh, so really understanding them and their ability to uh, incorporate some of these interventions that we're suggesting, I think it's really important. And being in home care, I have the unique perspective of seeing individuals in their homes and seeing how they live in their setting. And often when they come to the hospital, let's say, they'll conform to whatever they need to in the hospital because, you know, it's a, a facility or a place where things are controlled for them, but going back home, it's very different for every person, every individual on how they can move forward with um, taking care of themselves or being able to um, be, uh, use interventions for their serious illness. Um, we also all have some implicit bias, so whether conscious or unconscious, if there is something that's dissimilar to how we think, we tend to make quick judgments. So again, it's really trying to understand the individual and their situation and uh, working within that realm. 
Oh, absolutely. I think that the rhetoric surrounding being colorblind or not really taking race or culture into consideration is ignorant. I think that we need to make sure that we're having more honest conversations with ourselves to make sure that people of color are getting accurate care or care that makes sense to them, especially because truthfully, our healthcare system is pretty cookie cutter when it comes to catering to white people rather than other ethnicities. Why is it important that providers incorporate race into the conversations surrounding palliative care? Uh, I think it's important because of exactly what you said. Um, we have a structure that's already set up a certain way and there is a lack of cultural diversity or identity diversity, um, you know, looking into each individual. So for our palliative and hospice patients, end of life decisions um, and end of life care can vary significantly based on culture, based on um, individual identities. And they can vary among different groups. And right now palliative care is based on a structure designed for an educated middle-class individual. And they're the population that uh, the, the services don't reach, uh, don't represent that, which is <clears throat> unfortunate because I think a lot of the population would benefit from the services providing, but they just don't know about it because it's not offered to them. Um, and information is not always processed the same by individuals or valued the same. So with the topic of end-of-life care, which is a very sensitive topic, we can't expect uh, that the same approach will work for everyone, especially since the topic is so taboo in our society. The conversation approaches to conversations will differ based on the group's practices, their comfort with it, their, the way they communicate, and uh, the structure where either they receive information or the structure of um, groups of people that they trust to get information from. I totally agree. I think it's so important to be able to meet people at the level that they are. And a lot of that is influenced by their life experiences, even if that's just pertaining to how they've been interacted with in the healthcare system. What are the main takeaways that you'd like our listeners to have from your work? I think the main takeaway is that as researchers, we need to include the population we work with in the decision-making process. Um, so my mentor with this current research study that I'm doing is Bernie Elk, who is from the University of Alabama, who is an expert in community-based participatory research methods. And I wasn't really aware of this type of research. Um, it's usually done in other fields besides nursing, but it is growing in nursing. And the purpose of this method is to really include the population within the study to develop the study as a whole. Uh, so it really showed me the importance of inclusion and collaboration with the study I'm doing right now. I have community members who have helped with recruitment material, suggestions on how to do um, individual qualitative interviews, what questions are appropriate, what groups of people I should um, address and how to really get into uh, different groups within the culture to try to deliver this type of information. Because uh, again, a lot of it, you know, from this committee I learned is, is just not knowing the information. It's not necessarily being um, avoiding it or not talking about it. It's really not knowing how to approach it and, and really knowing what the services are out there. So I can't possibly know about the barriers, um, the way organizations are um, work within uh, the community, including 
churches and congregations, which is a, a big part of the community, and the beliefs of the population, um, because I'm not part of it um, in all different ways, including ethnicity, geography, culture, family structure, religion. And so it's important to include the voices of those that are part of the community. So coming in with a genuine curiosity and openness uh, when working with a specific group is really, really important to gaining trust and understanding the population's perspective. Um, the second thing I wanted providers and clinicians uh, to evaluate is how they deliver the care and their potential for bias. It may not be obvious, but I do catch myself making assumptions. And the important thing is that um, although, you know, I am learning and I am trying to, you know, develop myself um, through my experiences, but I think the first part is really acknowledging that there is um, an issue and you know if I do catch myself with a judgment or a bias that I am recognizing it. Um, the first step to solving any problem is admitting that it exists and our healthcare system was designed without culture, diversity, or differences in mind. So while trying to dismantle this structural imbalance, we need to take the first step and acknowledge that they exist and that we need to change our practice um, the way we teach and the way we role model for future nurses. I think that we all absolutely have work to do when providing services to our minority populations. And the research that you're doing will definitely help push people in the direction of promoting inclusivity. Thank you so much for coming on here and talking about your work. I hope that we can all learn about our own biases to become better people and better providers. And I just want to say that you're amazing and I appreciate the work that you're doing and thank you so much. Thank you so much, Erin. Um, I'm glad to be on and um, I'm glad to be able to talk about this type of research. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you found our discussion informative and engaging. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support what we do, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe for future episodes. This helps us to continue to build our audience of listeners and dive deeper into the world of hospice and palliative nursing to bring you more insightful interviews. Have an idea for a future episode? Send us an email at info at For more resources on hospice and palliative nursing, be sure to visit us at www.hbna.org.